Today is November 15th, marks six months, and just over $5,000 in cost of me being in treatment for chronic Lyme disease. I've had more energy this week, but I want to share some information to educate and update, and also just try to advocate for better treatment for other Lyme's and the, the many, many, many people who unfortunately will also get this illness this year and every year after that unless treatment protocol changes. Just to kind of start off with the basics, Lyme disease in its acute form can usually be treated successfully with antibiotics. You're bit by a tick, you have some flu-like symptoms, you go to the doctor, they do a really quick western blot test and if you're positive they'll give you usually doxycycline antibiotics and and a lot of bodies are able to fight that off naturally and are okay but about 10 percent of cases do become chronic and symptoms end up lasting for could be years when a tick that has lyme disease bites you um, it can transmit lyme disease but also a variety of other bacteria known as co-infections. Some of the most common ones are Babesia and Bartonella. The bacteria that causes Lyme disease is called Borrelia burgdorferi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Burgdorferi, something like that. Both that bacteria and some of the co-infections are particularly advanced bacteria. They essentially camouflage and hide in the joints in the lymph nodes and in the brain. They can hide from the immune system, essentially ensuring their survival, which makes it really hard to kill them and really hard to eliminate them from the body. And, you know, the combination of these bacteria living inside your body and moving around your body can cause all kinds of symptoms. I think the most common ones amongst Lyme patients who have chronic symptoms are migratory joint pain, uh, which means I might have pain in my left wrist today and then my right ankle tomorrow and um, a week later my knees are hurting. So they, they tend to move around. There's usually some sort of brain fog or impaired short-term memory, confusion, um, things like that. Um, and then I think a big one is fatigue. When they first found the bacteria, they found it in Connecticut, in rural Connecticut, in 1975. And at the time, it was discovered in kids, um, and they were calling it, I think, like child arthritis or something like that. They didn't exactly know what the cause was. You know, a percentage of those people that have been affected since that time um, have been dealing with chronic symptoms to to varying degrees. Some, you know, who who have it and never get treated and and are okay. And at its most extreme, the bacteria can uh, get into parts of the brain that can cause paralysis in areas of the body. Some people become um, wheelchair ridden, um, and that's some of the most extreme I've seen. Getting treated for chronic Lyme is interesting. Um, getting treated for, for acute Lyme is pretty straightforward. 
like I mentioned, sort of going to the doctor and getting your antibiotics um, if the test comes back positive. But the test is not great, um, and a lot of times it comes back negative, even though Lyme is present. And the other piece of this that's difficult is that chronic Lyme, chronic symptoms coming from this Borrelia bacteria haven't been recognized by some of the biggest sort of names in the medical sphere until just now, October 2023. So a month ago, the CDC finally recognizes that that this Borrelia can create chronic symptoms. But, you know, for the last almost 50 years, Lyme patients have struggled immensely to get care. And, and frankly, Lyme patient stories tend to sound pretty much the same until they're treated by a Lyme literate doctor. And I know this just from talking to a lot of other people struggling with Lyme and the research that I've done and um, the books that I'm reading and documentaries that I've been watching. Yeah, the story's pretty, pretty cookie cutter. Goes something like this. Patient has onset of debilitating symptoms that begin to impact day-to-day functioning, again, at various degrees. So the patient goes to their C, their, you know, the general physician, the GP orders a bunch of tests. Typically, the tests all come back normal or don't explain the symptoms. GP refers out to a specialist, uh, maybe an infectious disease specialist or a rheumatologist, depending on the, the symptoms the patient's presenting. They go to the specialist. The specialists run a bunch of tests, maybe put the patient on medication. Those tests come back negative and specialists say that they don't know what to do or, you know, I thought it was this, but it isn't this. And then they'll refer you back to your GP or to another specialist and you'll go through their thing. And at that point, you know, patients have spent tons of money and time on all kinds of tests, blood, urine, stool, saliva tests, x-rays, office visit copays, um, medications, but are not actually being treated for Lyme. And as a result, a lot of patients either can't afford to continue, you know, investigating or don't have the energy to continue with the visits and the tests and medications. And a lot of people end up having to kind of like learn to live with chronic illness um, and, and whatever accompanying symptoms that that means for them um, just because of the cost um, and sometimes also because of the lack of access to Lyme literate doctors. Those who do have the means tend to pivot and begin to explore other options for treatment. Many Lyme patients have had success with treatment from non-traditional Western medicine approaches like functional and integrative medicine practices, modern and traditional Chinese medicine practices, and and other non-Western approaches to medicine, acupuncture, herbal medicine. Worth noting that none of these therapies are covered by insurance, none. And, and, you know, at this point, most Lyme doctors also have years-long wait lists. So you could be waiting years and years before getting proper treatment, even if you are seeking out the right kinds of treatment. So success with Lyme treatment, I mean, it can take as little as three to six months. 
And as long as, you know, years and decades with some patients never seeing success from treatment or, or never returning to to their previous, you know, bodily capabilities. Within the Lyme community, frankly, it's it's sort of known that going to most practitioners within traditional Western medicine and telling them that you have chronic Lyme is a no-no um, because you're not likely to be taken seriously. The CDC and the NIH have a very long history of denying um, the existence of chronic Lyme and given you know, their really international power within medicine, not recognizing it has stunted a lot of opportunities for research and treatment um, and, you know, and, and hopefully an eventual cure within the U.S. as well as internationally. There's a lot of really interesting but complicated historical and political reasons for that that i probably not the best person to be able to explain um, but I do recommend a couple of the documentaries um, that are out there on this to give a better explanation than I could give. The, the two that I think are most targeted to the political sort of reasons for that are a documentary called Under Our Skin, which I think came out in the 90s, and then The Quiet Epidemic, which came out just this past year. is a little more um, modern. But a lot of chronic Lyme patients get diagnosed with other diseases through the traditional Western medicine track, most specifically MS, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and then, and then some get diagnosed with Munchausen syndrome, which is a, a mental disorder where a person fakes their illness. A lot of times the doctors um, in these practices get these tests back and the tests are normal and and they say there's nothing wrong with you, it's all in your head. Patients know that it's not in their head and they feel pain and fatigue and whatever symptoms they have very, you know, very much so in their bodies. But but it's been many years of Lyme patients hearing this and, and getting, you know, if they do get diagnosed with one of these other disorders, getting treated for any of these other illnesses is not going to cure cure the person's Lyme. That's kind of the bird's eye view, but I do kind of want to bring it back home a little bit and, and share the more vulnerable piece, which has been my, my personal experience with Lyme disease so far. I'm six months into treatment. Uh, I don't know how long I'll be in treatment. Doctor is hopeful that I'll only need about another year, but the day-to-day of chronic Lyme, I think is worth educating on, particularly because it's usually, for most cases, it's an invisible illness. For some, you know, obviously who are wheelchair-bound, it's not, but, but there's a lot of invisible pieces to this. Just speaking from my experience, this is kind of how it impacts my, my day-to-day. I use a handicap parking sticker. I use shower supports. Um, I have I have ADA accommodations at work and had my office moved to the first floor at the beginning of the year to minimize my use of stairs. Stairs are particularly hard for me. You know, up until um, about the end of the year last year, about May of last school year, I was in the hallways all the time, talking to students, talking to teachers, talking to 
um, support staff and checking in on kids, you know, going all across a, a very large building um, without without much issue. So now I, I don't do that. I don't roam the school hallways, spend most of the school day in my office, mostly out of energy preservation. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have some physical limitations right now. Doing basic physical errands that I had no problem with before have become really taxing. Washing dishes, you know, folding and putting away laundry, cleaning, cooking, showering and shaving all take a lot of energy from me. And I usually have to like choose just one to do each day in order to not overexert myself. And when I do overexert myself, I usually end up needing to sleep for many, many hours. I have to take, you know, time off of work. Um, things like that. Of course, work never ends and emails don't pause um, just because I have to. So things pile up, you know, at work and at home and and can cause a lot lot more stress. Last year, I was taking a a weekly high-intensity hip-hop class that I loved and I loved my dance instructor. And now I, I have trouble walking up more than one set of stairs without losing my breath. I have become a lot weaker I've gained a lot of weight. Most of my clothes from before treatment don't fit me anymore. I mean, I think there there's a lot of, of different pieces to this. A big piece is the, is the treatment cost. I do have intermittent FMLA at work, but that doesn't give me access to any paid time off. Just basically means that I won't lose my job due to my illness. Um, So it's a protection, but I do have to use my sick time to get time off paid. And right now, about half of each of my paychecks are going to my medical bills, which include my high-cost insurance that I pay for because, you know, I thought I would really need it, and my high-cost Lyme treatment and medications that I pay for, which are not covered. So on average, it's, it's been about $900 a month. I was very lucky to be promoted before I got sick, um, which is why I can afford my treatment. Um, I'm unbelievably privileged to be able to pay for treatment. And on my salary two years ago, I I would not have been able to afford it despite having a bachelor's degree. So when we talk about like access to care for diseases that are more rare, or I don't even wanna say rare since so many people have it, but that are not as covered by insurance and not as researched, refunded, it can be extremely costly, um, and, and the vast majority don't don't have the means to continue. On top of that, you know, there's 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 the the annoying things, the day to day things, medications. Um, I am on medications. I take a total of seventeen pills throughout the day, at five times throughout the day, when I wake up, at every meal, and then before I go to sleep. The majority of those meds are very potent herbal supplements. So I'm not on any like antibiotics, steroids, or any other traditional Western medicines anymore. I was like, some of those supplements taste really bad. <laughs> just not the worst thing about you know treatment, but it's just it's just one of those little things. I'm newly on a dairy-free and gluten-free diet, which is super fun. The thing that's been interesting is I, after 15 years of being a vegetarian, uh, started to crave meat during treatment including meat that I had actually never tasted before. My doctor explained it's because I'm not absorbing protein well, so my body just needs a lot more of it. 
So for the first time in my life, I have been eating beef and chicken and sausage. Um, it's very strange <laughs> for me, but you know, a lot of a lot of this has been adjusting to new things. Has been adjusting to change not letting it freak you out, not letting it take you down. I've been really lucky to find a few networks of support of other people who are sh- who are fighting Lyme, including a chronic illness support group, which is through Hey Peers, which I really recommend, and it's free. And I also am a part of a Colorado Lyme and tick-borne diseases support group as well. Um, and I've met some really amazing people through through those, many of whom have been in treatment for years. But, you know, but I will say that sometimes being with other people who are also doing this can be really taxing. And understandably, there can be a lot of really negative, pessimistic energy in those spaces for people who have been in it for a long time and who have tried a lot and spent a lot of money and and are tired. Being sick and being in treatment can be really lonely and you know and it can be sad. For me, I I definitely mourn the healthy version of myself that I for sure took for granted before. I mourn being able to eat whatever I wanted all the time being able to move my body easily and without getting embarrassed or or worrying about how other people will perceive how I'm moving. I mourn my prior weight and, you know, and I mourn some friendships that, that didn't last through treatment or haven't at this point. Sometimes people pull away when you get sick. And honestly, that's that's been one of the hardest parts of this for me. I think teaching your friends and family and partner and coworkers to support you requires you to be vulnerable it requires you to ask for a lot of support and then and then to do it yourself you know if and when that support doesn't show up or can't show up so you know in, in that sense i it can also be really empowering um and and it can remind you of how strong you are even if you're really physically feeling very weak I do have a lot of hope for my treatment. I think it's really important to. Um, I know from my time working at the Make-A-Wish Foundation that that fostering hope during an illness has a direct positive impact on your your clinical success. Um, Like there's research around this for Make-A-Wish children who, who go through the wish process and have this experience of creating and fostering hope and the impact that that has on their medical trajectory is noteworthy, you know, as well as obviously your happiness and, and attitude. Every day that I get a, a good day where my symptoms are mild or they're gone, I try to soak in as much of, of life as I can and remind myself that that feeling is why I'm in treatment. It's why I'm doing all of this and doing it for as long as I need to because having access to my most full, healthy, vibrant, energetic self is is priceless. 
on Rosh Hashanah this year, the Jewish New Year, um, I got a tattoo of a slice of a lime. And I told myself that next Rosh Hashanah, which will be September 2024, that I'll look down at this tattoo and I will be in remission. Remission for Lyme is, I think, loosely defined as three months symptom-free, though you might still be taking like medication and supplements. So that's the goal, um, and that's the plan that I'm working towards. And and there's there's ways to help with that, right? I do think that there's ways that you can support people going through illness like this, long-term illness. For me, it's important to me that people are sending me like positive energy and thoughts and memories, vibes, prayers, you know, whatever your thing is, and that you let me know when you do. I think it's really sweet to know that I'm being thought of. Handwritten cards, letters, postcards, art, those feel like extra special. And then just being physically with me, if you can, when you can. I'm a very extroverted person. Um, I've learned to be more introverted in this time and learned to spend a lot of time with myself. But I do want to be around positive energy as much as possible, even if I'm not physically, you know, up to doing much. For me, that's coming out with me at my apartment and watch TV or paint or do a puzzle or just talk, read or whatever. I have a very, very comfortable couch. Shout out to my former roommates for that. Yeah, sit, you know, sit with me while I do laundry um, to give me the distraction. So I'll finish it. Um, let me know what's going on in your life and, you know, and, and ask me how I'm doing. I think for me, and I, I know this differs for other, other Lyme warriors that I've talked to, but for me, asking questions about my treatment means that you care and, and it, and it shows me that you care and I'll let you know if I'm not feeling up to talking about it. So I don't, I don't know. I think those are some of the ways that, that people have been able to support me both near and, and afar I will say I definitely have garnered some little tips (laughs) for dealing with long-term illness. And again, I'm only, you know, six months in, so I don't know, you know, that these will be the same in in however long from now. But there are some things that that I think are worth sharing for anyone dealing with long-term illness. And that can be mental health as well as other, you know, chronic conditions, things like that. Treating your illness as a marathon instead of a sprint is really important, and it's something that I've been trying to hold myself to. So some of the things that have helped me to do that are getting a stuffed animal and not being ashamed <laughs> to have it. Um, just like having comfort around you, I think, is important, especially if you can't have physical comfort from family or friends all the time. Watching TV or listening to a podcast anytime you're doing an errand to make it go by faster. Um, you should never be doing errands in silence. Maybe everyone knew that and I didn't know that until now, but um, certainly that's been a big one. Having some like paper plates and bowls on hand for just as a backup plan if you're having a really hard week, like being able to recycle dishware instead of having to wash it or let it pile up in the sink. It's just one less thing to worry about. I really don't grocery shop in the store anymore. Uh, I think grocery shopping in store sucks. I hate walking around. It can be really physically taxing. It can also be anxiety inducing. Yeah, picking up groceries, doing the pickup orders, which are usually free, 
or Instacart if you have that, things like that. Um, and then having healthy, like, prepared meals in your freezer all the time as a backup plan. Like, just every time you go to the grocery store, you just buy a couple. Waking up has been really hard, particularly for me. So FaceTiming or calling a friend has helped me to get out of bed sometimes. Having a chronic illness um, puts you in very, very close relationship with your body. Body and body image. For me, following people on social media, Instagram specifically, whose style I really like, whose body size is at least a size or two bigger than mine, um, has helped me to to surround myself with images of beautiful, curvy, and plus-size women, you know, rocking looks that, that give me inspiration, you know, instead of just the, the majority of, of what we see from celebrities. Um, so that's been helpful. And um, buying clothes at the thrift store, which I do generally, no matter what, but especially while your weight is fluctuating, just so you're not spending a ton of money on things that may or may not fit you next week, next month. Buying clothes of the sizes that you feel good in, not the size that you wish you were, is huge. For me, especially for jeans, it's like, yep, I would love to wear those cute jeans that I have since before treatment, but they do not fit me. And so every time I try them on, it's just going to be upsetting. Like, let's just have a replacement pair of jeans for those. Trusting my body, trusting my gut that I know what's right for me. I know when I'm tapped and need to not go to work or do other things. And really just trying to drown out the voices of those that are not helping me to heal. Um, I know those are people who won't be around long-term anyways, but really trying to focus your energy on the positive energy that's coming in. And then, I mean, this, and the hardest part is finding, finding the good in your situation. And this is something that is a long-term goal for me. It's not something I've achieved yet. It's not something I figured out and would love to learn more about and love to get better at. Um, but even if it seems impossible, finding the good in your illness, my Lyme journey so far has taught me to be much more independent. It's taught me to advocate for myself. I think I had grown my skills in advocating for other people so much and felt really comfortable and empowered doing that. And when this happened, I realized I had no idea how to advocate for myself and what I needed um, and not feel bad about it and not feel guilty or ashamed. Listening to my body has been huge. And, you know, just trying to encourage myself to have a loving relationship with my body, no matter how I feel, has been important because I, I won't be successful with this treatment if I'm in a constant battle with my body. So, like, we're going to have to work together on this. Looking ahead, I'm going to continue my treatment through I work with Ravel Health. Um, and I am hopeful for my goal to getting to remission. I take days off when I need to, and when I inevitably run out of sick days, I will take unpaid days off. I'm trying to find different experiences of my Lyme journey that are not just the dark and sad or painful or tired, and try to find the, the positive experiences of this journey. And again, that's something I'm really just in the beginning phases of. Um, but one of those things is, is the creative part of this and the reflective part of this. So 
I'm currently adapting a memoir by a teenager who has Lyme, who I met uh, here in in Denver. Um, She's from Colorado. Um, And I'm adapting the memoir into a musical for my drama students to work on, um, which they'll be starting to work on here shortly in December and January. Um, The show will be at the end of April, so come see it. It should be great. I'm really excited um, about that. I'm excited for the opportunity that it gives to my students to dig deeper into understanding invisible illnesses and disorders. Um, A lot of them face those in their lives, whether it's health, mental health, learning disabilities, etc. So I'm I'm excited to kind of be in community with them in that way. You know, I, I like have promised to myself that I will be grateful for and cherish the good days and look forward to when the good days vastly outnumber the bad ones. And I'm, I'm not going to stop living my life in the meantime. Um, just, just adjust how, how I do. There's tons and tons of really fascinating documentaries and books and memoirs out there. If you want any recommendations, I'm happy to send them your way. But in the meantime, I hope this just gives you a little snapshot of of what my experience has been and what other Lyme warriors are fighting. I'm hopeful that this new recognition from the CDC will be um, the first step to getting better treatment and getting better coverage for treatment for people fighting this.